Super Talk Mississippi media production. Or free record on my count. Seven, six, five, four, three, two, roll A, fade up on A. Southern Miss to the top. You're tuned in to the Eagle Hour. Hey, good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Eagle Hour. Glad you're with us around the state this afternoon and streaming live on Supertalk uh, Laurel and SupertalkHattiesburg.com. Glad to have you with us this afternoon. Luke will be joining me a little later. This is Bob Getty. I'm in the First Bank studio in Hattiesburg. Luke over in Jones County, and we'll be talking to him as well as Kelly Sander uh, a little later. About to be joined uh, by Dr. Mark Horn from South Central Regional Medical Center. Real quickly, opening segment sponsored by Dickey's Barbecue Pit. want to encourage you to keep supporting your local restaurants wherever you're listening this afternoon. Here in Hattiesburg, Dickey's is open seven days a week. They're serving their food through drive through and home delivery. You go to dickies.com. You give them a call. You can just drop by. And the food is uh, waiting on you, and uh, so important, so important to uh, support our local restaurants. Okay, Dr. Mark Horn from South Central Regional Medical Center been very gracious every week to join us and kind of give us an update on this uh, terrible thing that we're uh, we're all dealing with. And uh, Dr. Horn, first of all, thanks for your time again today. Sir. Oh, you're quite welcome. I enjoy it coming on. All right, 3,360 cases, 272 new cases in the last 24 hours reported in Mississippi, 11 new deaths. I think this is the largest single-day increase the state has reported. So from a layman's standpoint, doctor, it just doesn't seem that things are getting better. Am I wrong? Uh, We don't know for sure. Uh, If you look at the daily averages and you uh, sort of graph this and look at the slope, the slope suggests we're at or near the peak, um, but you know, Dr. Fauci has said it. You're, you're never, you, you really don't know exactly where you are until uh, he said it a little differently. But we'll know where we are today. Looking back, um, we, we're not. We have very poor certainty about things today. My initial, my personal take is that we're at or near our peak. And that, and that's partly based on conversations with our state health officer and others, and looking at uh, data over time and looking at the slope. So I think we're at or near our peak. But there are things that have happened recently, at least in our area here in uh, South Mississippi, that hold potential risk uh, looking ahead. Okay, and I want to talk to you about that. Obviously, the state was just devastated on Easter Sunday by two terrible tornadoes that. Uh, started over in Lawrence County, made their way all the way across Highway 49 over into Jones County. I was in uh, in the Soso area yesterday, and the county roads up uh, between Soso and Laurel, devastating, devastating damage. But here's something that struck me, Dr. Horn. I'd like to get your comment on it. I saw hundreds of good-hearted people, really wonderful people, out there trying to help uh, the poor victims of this storm. Uh, there was a church there that they were serving food, uh, had all sorts of bottled water and drinks, and then just hundreds and hundreds of men out there helping recover. 
the victims recovered. But what struck me is very, very few of those people were wearing masks. They were close together working. And again, from a layman's standpoint, my thinking was this is just going to spread this disease more in this area, right or wrong? Absolutely correct. And we're we're very concerned about it. it I, I was um, out there checking on a family uh, farm uh, Sunday evening and uh, nobody was wearing a mask. I was staying in my truck trying to get to our farm. Um, it, it's it's I understand. I've personally been in situations like that. I want to help, and we need to help, and we should help. But at the same time that we help, we need to be careful. That night, as I was dri- that late that afternoon, Sunday afternoon, as I was driving around, uh, there were downed power lines everywhere, and people were obviously very cautious of the power lines, making certain that they were dead and not alive. And I used to work on emergency services, and when we'd get to an accident, one of the first things we always paid attention to the the risks that were surrounding an accident scene was was it stable to walk in a certain area? Could we get? Can we take care of the patient and not get injured ourselves? And that was drilled into us, and it was important. It was important then, and it's important now. My point in saying those things is, God bless uh, the folks of Jones County and surrounding areas who are going out and helping, and people coming in from out of state to help. God bless them. They're doing God's work, but they have to be smart about doing it. They don't want to get themselves hurt or take something home and hurt someone else. So they still need to wear a mask. Uh, I know it's not easy, but uh, I just received some information from someone else that uh, Mississippi Power and uh, other utility companies are requiring their workers, when they're out here doing this, to wear a mask is one of the requirements. Why? Because they need those workers to be safe, and they need them to be able to stay there and help. Seven days, 10 days from now, 14 days from now, uh, if people aren't really careful, there's there we stand a really significant chance of a major surge in COVID-19 around these disaster areas. People trying to do the right thing, but something bad can happen. Very, very difficult, very, very, very sad. All right. Now, there's talk, doctor, that um, that the governor could possibly list this uh, lift the uh, stay in home place order Monday. That's when it's that's when it's scheduled to expire. From a medical standpoint, uh, is that too early, or can we begin to open the state back up? You know, this is one of the more difficult topics uh, to know what's right. Rather than lifting it totally, I think. Uh, Many of us uh, in statewide leadership in, uh, the part in medicine, uh, the conversations that we have are that it should, it maybe can be modified a little bit in a very intelligent way, in a very smart way, uh, but it doesn't need to be, in my estimation, it doesn't need to be lifted. For one thing, if you go out to um, a grocery store or Walmart, there are still a lot of people who've never gotten the memo about uh, about sort of personal separation and and about the use of mask. Right. So we, we still have, if we're not careful in how we do it, I'm not going to say that there can't be modifications, but if we're not careful, we're, again, just going to feed the monster and see it rise again, and then it's going to take that much longer to uh, get ahead. When you look ahead, uh, I hear a lot of people talk about the month of June. Maybe things will be a lot better come June the 1st. Is that realistic, Doctor? And I, I hate to be the bearer of 
less than optimal. I just, I don't know. Um, I want to believe that's true. I want to believe that uh, in June things will be better. I think we'll be able to do more in June, May and June. I think there'll be some uh, late May and early June. I think we'll be able to do more. If people are thinking about getting back to the way things were in, say, uh, January, uh, when we didn't have any of these problems, uh, that's a long way off. Uh, this not being part of our daily concerns is many months away, in my estimation. Mm. There may be some, uh, we, we're hoping and planning to get back to more, nor- more normal uh, circumstances where we can do more, but there will be precautions taken even then. I think we'll be uh, if testing gets better and more available, we will hope to be able to identify at-risk groups more and focus on them as opposed to everybody. So I think it'll be better, but I don't think we're going to be normal in June or July. I got I, you. What about uh, what about this? What about what about in-home behavior? Having family members in your home, having friends in your home. I gather from our conversations, you still think people need to be very careful about that. You need to be very limited and very careful because while you know where you've been and while you may know with a reasonable degree of confidence where those family members that are in your home have been, um, the wider you uh, expand that circle of friends and family and trusted people, the less and less you know about where they've been and what they've been exposed to. And and we see it clinically. We see people who say, I only went to the grocery store and to home and work and nowhere else, and they came down with COVID-19. Mm. So it, it's everything you encounter in the public space has potential to have encountered someone who had it, and um, it's just a problem. So... The, the better we are about this separation and about distancing and about limiting our exposures, then the faster we'll get out of this. All right, Doctor. Our time always goes by fast. We're very, very grateful to you for coming on the show every week. And uh, in the just a couple seconds that I have left, one last piece of advice for the rescue workers in Jones County is what? Do the social separation that we've always talked about. Try to stay at least six feet away from others where it's possible. I understand it's not always that way. Wear your mask and do everything you can about hand sanitation. It's safer outside than inside, but it's not without risk. Think carefully. All right, doctor. Thank you very much, sir. And thank you for for all you're contributing to our listening audience. Thank you. Dr. Mark Horn, everybody, from South Central Regional Medical Center in Laurel. Good advice. Sure hope you'll listen to him. Keep your activities to a minimum. Wear a mask when you're outside. Do not think that this is over. All right, some big news as COVID-19 affects conferences like CUSA. We'll talk about that next on the Eagle Hour. Tuned in to the Eagle Hour. The Eagle Hour. Southern Miss to the top. Hey, welcome back to the Eagle Hour. Bob Getty at the First Bank Studio in Hattiesburg this afternoon. 
I want to thank uh, Dr. Mark Horn. He's joined us every week for the past three weeks from Delta Regional, I'm sorry, from South Central Regional Medical Center. So my Greenville days coming back to me. And uh, we really appreciate uh, his input. This segment sponsored by Campus Bookmart and CampusBookmart.net. The store is closed, but the website is open, CampusBookmart, M-A-R-T.net. You can still shop all your favorite Southern Miss stuff. You can order it online and Campus Bookmart. Uh, they have somebody there every day monitoring the website and fulfilling orders. So don't uh, let COVID-19 stop you from wearing the latest Southern Miss swag. You can get it at campusbookmart.net. All right, Luke Johnson not with me today. Luke is over in Jones County helping with the tornado relief effort. But we lassoed him down for a few minutes because, Luke, there is a big, big story that developed yesterday, <coughs> excuse me, related to COVID-19 and the group of five conferences, which, of course, include Conference USA, the commissioners of those five conferences submitted a mutually signed letter to the NCAA asking them to make some big changes in guidelines because of the uh, economic impact they think they're about to take from this virus. And one of those changes would be very significant if approved, and that would be to reduce the number of sports from the current number of 16 that Division One programs are, are required uh, to fund and put on the field. Your thoughts about these huge changes that may be coming in college athletics? Well, the group of five, of course, the American, uh, the Mountain West, uh, the Mid-American, the Sun Belt, and Conference USA. It's interesting to me, Bob, is that they submitted this on behalf of all 350 D1 schools. So the little brother's looking out for the big brother here because the Power Five didn't submit this, this letter. Yeah, really, the, the three main requests are um, what, what you said, and I'll get to that one in just a minute, but, uh, you know, you have, to, you have to offer a minimum of 200 athletic grant and aid per year, so scholarships. So there, there's a specific number of scholarships you have to, to offer. Secondly, this only applies to football. In football, in Division One, you have FCS, which is football championship subdivision. That's what we would call like D1AA, what used to be called that. The FBS is what Southern Miss is in, the bowl subdivision. To be in the FBS, you have to basically average once every two years 15,000 people in attendance for home football games. And that's it's always been kind of an eye-raising route statistic because a lot of people, you know, some schools, there's no way they, they have that, but they stay in. Um, so they're asking them to relax the attendance. But the big one, what you just said, um, you know, with the 16 different uh Sports programs, and what I think that will affect is when you start looking at a lot of the, the spring sports. You know, you're talking track and field, uh, maybe maybe women's golf. Um, just somebody today, I think University of Cincinnati announced today that they were doing away with their men's soccer program. We've seen Conference USA with Old Dominion doing away with their long-standing wrestling program. So, if the NCAA were to allow that, it's going to I mean, you think about kids that may be in their sophomore, junior year. I mean, you know, you're going to have people without a place to go or without a career to continue. So it's it's just kind of unprecedented, and it's huge requests from these schools. Well, it is, and it's just that at this point. It's just a request. But if you look at those sports, you would have to think it's the, it's the soccers, it's the golf teams, it's potentially the volleyball teams. Those are the sports that you would have to assume that would be the first on the chopping block, right? Because we know it's not going to be football, basketball, and baseball, and probably not women's softball at this point. Am I right about that? 
Yeah, pretty much so. And you think about, you know, Southern Miss built a brand-new volleyball complex, you know, so, so where does that come in? Our, our track and field team has been one of the finest in the, in the country the last few years. You know, where does that land us? There was, there was one more aspect to it. The NCAA requires you uh, to play minimum number of total games and home games in baseball, football, and basketball. And you got you got to remember some of those, a lot of those specific football games, you can only schedule, you know, one or two FCS opponents. And so they're asking them to relax that too, so that changes really the scheduling. Um, I think what you may see is, you know, a lot of Group 5 teams um, will basically maybe just schedule rather than three or, you know, uh, two money games. They might pull off three or four money games just mm-hmm. because of all the, the lack of revenue that's coming in and, you know, is the, is the Power 5 going to oblige in that? So it's a scheduling aspect. It's a scholarship aspect. It's an attendance aspect. It's really a holistic request from the Group of Five. Well, interesting that it came from the Group of Five, and here's probably the reason this caught my eye last night, Luke. This is, the, this is a great example of the disparity between the Power Five and the Group of Five. Mississippi State loses their women's basketball coach. They go get the coach from Old Dominion out of Conference USA. They pay their women's basketball coach $750,000 a year, which is $250,000 a year more than the football coach at Southern Miss makes. And that's what you're – you see, the, one of the long programs – or one of the, the long strategies here is that schools want to retain their FB, FBS status. Because of that, they can get into bowl games. You know, there's just extra revenue. I mean, what it is is they're scrapping for every penny. And what you just said, the fact that you know, SEC school pays their women basketball coach $250,000 more than, than we pay a, a head football coach just kind of shows you that. I mean, it should be mentioned that Jay Hopson took that amount so that he could have a bigger pool with his assistants. So kudos to Coach for doing that. Right. Uh, because Todd Munkin made more than that. But, but the, the point is, yes. But, I mean, if the, the Power Five is going to be hurting, hurting is a relative word when you start talking about that. At the same token, everybody's going to feel it. You know, Southern Miss immediately lost over a million dollars from the NCAA this year just because of the tournament and some of the other things that didn't happen. So you, you talk about guys like Jeremy McLean and our, the guys in our front office uh, that are in our leadership, they're about to have to get really creative, and hopefully the NCAA will oblige. Well, as we want to point out now, this was just a request by the group of five. NCAA probably won't do anything very quickly. They seem to generally be extremely slow uh, in responding to anything. But, uh, boy, it does raise it does raise a world of potential uh, of uh, how we could really see the face of college athletics change. And, you know, every day I, I we keep hearing all of these things. It's just it's still hard to put your hands around the fact that this is all the result of a virus. I had somebody ask me where's the big reset button on 2020, and uh, I was I was on a radio show this morning uh, with Todd Elziot and Laurel, and uh, you know one of the things that we all kind of joked for we made the joke about 2020 and let's get our vision straight. We don't have to use glasses. In a lot of ways, to be honest. This year, with just the things that continue to pile on top of us, particularly you know this week in South Mississippi, it's allowing us maybe to see the things that really matter in life and maybe the things that are, are peripheral. And the peripheral can move to the center, and the center can move to the peripheral. Right. Well, let's talk about something happy while I got you on the phone. One week from tomorrow, one week from tomorrow, 
the NFL drafts is going to be live. It's going to be the first. It's going to be the first really sports related uh, deal that we don't know the outcome. Uh, and so I think it's going to have a massive audience. But I'm sure you're looking forward to the draft yourself. We were sitting uh, standing by a truck yesterday afternoon after working relief all day, and I just looked at somebody. I said, "I'm so happy the NFL draft's coming on next week <laughs> because I literally I'm one of those guys where you know I'll sit down and I'll watch the first round. Like you know, hopefully there's nothing going on, but usually there's been times I went to my brother-in-law's house and we just sat down and we just watched the NFL draft. I love the strategy behind it. I love to see if they're going to pull off trades. And you put that where nobody has had any sports in, in a few months. This might be like Super Bowl ratings for the NFL draft next week. Well, no no question about that. Uh, I was watching some of the NFL channel this morning, and uh, you know it was just exciting to hear them go through their mock draft. It was kind of what we expected to, to see in the first round based on all the articles. But it was just fun listening to them talk about drafting these kids. And, uh, look, virus or not, these kids are beginning to have sleepless nights because it's going to be a, a, life-changing, uh, a life-changing event for a lot of young men next week. I just remember being a part of it when I was, when I was there and sitting on a couch in So-So, Mississippi, and so my, my cell phone blew up and I looked down and it wasn't a 601 number and, the uh, guy on the other end was the special teams coach for the Detroit Lions. It was the craziest thing I'd ever experienced, and <laughs> can only imagine what those dudes are like when they sit in, uh, sit in that in the, in the big room, and you know get their names called. It won't be that way next week, but just uh, an amazing time it is, and it is life altering for a lot of people. All right, look, I know you're over there doing the tor- the tornado relief. I'm going to deliver a message to you from Doctor Mark Horn. Are you ready? I'm ready. Leave your mask on. He knows it's hard to work with a mask on, but he urges you to leave your mask on. I've got construction mask beside me. I got me a baseball knitted mask right beside me. Baseball fabric. We're ready to go. All right, brother. You take care of yourself. Thanks, man. See All right. Up. Luke Johnson, everybody. My partner, of course, in crime here on the Eagle Hour and doing what uh, what you would expect Luke to do. He's over there helping victims of the tornado in Jones County. All right, you know, the tornado also uh, hit Lawrence County very hard. We broadcast into Lawrence County, and we really haven't talked to anybody from that area, so we're going to do that next. Tony Norwood is with the Lawrence County Economic Development Authority. There's a terribly sad story out of Lawrence County, and recovery there is uh, taking place as well. We know it's not sports-related, but it's just so important to everybody here in South Mississippi right now. So we're going to talk to Tony Norwood next, and then we'll catch up with Kelly Sander as the Eagle Hour continues. Southern Miss to the top. To the top. You're tuned in to the Eagle Hour. Welcome back to the Eagle Hour, everybody. Bob Getty uh, at the First Bank Studio in Hattiesburg this afternoon. Luke uh, working on tornado relief in Jones County. This segment sponsored by 4th Street Bar and Grill. I want to remind everybody every day about how important it is to support your local restaurants. They're not able to entertain you inside their buildings but fourth street is providing lunch every day and dinner at night on a drive through basis you can call and place your order and go by and pick it up uh, right there in the shadow of the rock 
Well, the Eagle Hour, uh, since its beginning, has uh, broadcasted into Lawrence County, one of the Super Talk stations uh, in that fine area of Mississippi. We're always grateful for the support and the listenership we get from Lawrence County. And, and right now, uh, Lawrence County, uh, like Jones County, like Covington County, suffering uh, terrible tornado damage there. Uh, Tony Norwood is now joining us on the Eagle Hour, and we're glad to have him here. He is the Emergency Management Director for the Lawrence County Economic Development Authority. And, uh, sir, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yes, sir. Glad, glad to be here. If you can, try to put in perspective uh, for us uh, just how severe the damage there is in your community and uh, how the recovery effort is going, sir. Well, recovery effort is doing good. We've got uh, we've got neighbors helping neighbors. We've got people coming from other counties. uh that are, are sticking together. We've about got, well, we do have all of our roads open at this time. We just ask that everybody be real cautious coming through because we have a lot of utility trucks out on the side of the roads and out in the roads pulling up cable trying to get electricity. Uh, Lawrence County has a lot of timber and agricultural damage, a lot of trees down, but we've got, uh, without breaking it down, I've got 12 major or destroyed residents in the county, and we've got uh, somewhere around 26 others that have some type of structural damage. Uh, I did have uh, two fatalities. One of our deputy sheriffs uh, and his wife were was killed during this event Sunday evening. Yeah, and that's that's really a heartbreaking story. Can you uh, share any, any details as to uh, how that tragedy uh, unveiled itself? Uh, really can't give you a whole lot of details other than the fact that uh, the storm appeared to to pretty much center, come directly over the top of. He lived in a double wide mobile home, had a very beautiful place. Uh, we do believe that Robert seen it coming, grabbed his wife. They were they were holding each other tight when uh, when this happened, and and that's that's the way that we found them. Uh, Robert Robert was just. Uh, a heck of a guy. He, he he's loved by everybody who's ever had anything to do with him. I did not know Miss Paula real well, but from what I understand, she was an absolutely wonderful woman. She worked for the Walthall County Justice Court. Robert worked for our Lawrence County Sheriff's Department, and you just couldn't ask for for a better person to be around. Hmm. That's uh, that's just a terrible, terrible tragedy. How did this all unfold? Uh, run us through the scenario of, of when your county first came under this storm. Uh, on Easter Sunday and how it progressed across Lawrence County. And we we come up under several different warnings. Uh, we did have two two long track tornadoes come through the county, and uh, I'm gonna be honest with you. Got to running together on us so bad so fast. I'm gonna say somewhere around 4:15 is when we seen it coming uh, coming out of the other counties coming in, you know, coming out of Pike County and and all. And uh, it just kind of, be honest with you, it got from a blur there because we knew, looking at the debris field on radar, that we, we were going to have some massive destruction here. And, uh, also going over into Jeff Davis County. Right. So how do things stand as we're speaking today, sir? Well, we're, we're in a recovery. Uh, right now we're, we've, we've gotten uh, tarps out. Uh, Walmart. Uh, has donated water, so we've got water out to folks that still. We still have quite a few folks in the county that do not have electricity. Uh, 
and that's you know it's been going on since Sunday, and they're saying it could be the weekend before all of them are restored. Mm-hmm. That can take it. We've got some that's going to have to have electricians to come out and and look because it's pulled away from the house or, or different things. But uh, we're getting along pretty good. Our, our community pulls together. The state of Mississippi and all volunteers have, like I said, they've, they've come out of, of woodwork on us, and, and we've got churches pulling together that are feeding us uh, and feeding the folks that's been affected, not just the volunteers. Uh, I just can't thank folks enough. That I, I don't even want to try to start naming names because I'll leave somebody out and, and, you know, other than to say my first responders, all of the neighbors, my law enforcement, we've all worked really great together, worked hand in hand, and just ask that y'all please be with us and pray for us as as, as we lay a a brother to rest tomorrow and and his wife. It's going to be hard on us. Right. You know, Mr. Norwood, one good thing, if if there is something that good that comes out of a situation like this is the way Americans always respond uh, and help one another. I was over in Jones County yesterday afternoon, and I just saw hundreds of people there volunteering to help. And I'm sure it's the same there in, in your part of the state. So that that is that is a good thing that comes out of this. Am I right? Oh, absolutely. We've got law enforcement from all over the state and even out of state that's uh, that's that's called and offered help. We've got uh, we've got other counties and, and cities coming in to to help us and take care of, of things. We've had uh, fire departments called to offer other emergency management directors. Bless their heart, they they called and offered to be here. Anytime now and, and tomorrow while we while we lay Mr. Ainsworth to, to rest and his wife, they, you, you just you don't really know how blessed you are and how many how many friends and, and good folks we've got in the state of Mississippi until tragedy hits you. That's right. Now, obviously, on top of what you're dealing with already is this COVID nineteen mask. We had a doctor on the show earlier. Uh, in the hour that uh, wanted to caution everybody that that is out doing this wonderful work and helping people that you have to remain vigilant against this virus, that you need to wear masks, you need to try as best as you can to to completely operate under this social distancing. How how much of a burden is that adding to the job you've already got on your hands, sir? Uh, Well, it's still there, and we did do a – We've, I've got a Facebook page, Lawrence County Emergency Management, and uh, we've asked everybody to, to remember that we have this going on. Now, this COVID is, is still part of what, uh, I mean, it's a large part, and, and we want everybody to get out and help folks. We don't want to discourage that, but we do want to encourage everyone to uh, to remember we've got, uh, we've got the pandemic out here, and, and we need to be vigilant and try to, Try to stay six foot apart if possible, uh, and and please wear a mask and gloves and and use uh, disinfectant and hand sanitizer as much as you can. Right, Mr. Norwood, is there anything that uh, you can share with our listeners uh, that would be helpful that you guys uh, there in Lawrence County could use? Uh, no, I, I think seriously, I think we're we're pretty good. I say we're we're doing finishing up damage assessments today to get into MEMA to uh, see if we meet the threshold to, to possibly get FEMA in here to to get some assistance on the IA, which is individual side for for residents that that does have damage and destroyed homes. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. 
Well, I, I want to thank you for taking the time to talk to us. I know, I know how busy you are. Our condolences to you for the loss of the deputy and uh, and his wife, and and of course to all the people in your county that are suffering from the loss of their property. One last question: Have you had a chance now to kind of get a grasp of how many homes and buildings have been damaged or destroyed? Uh, you, if you tell statewide or just in, in, in your county, county, yes, or in, in your county. In my county, we've got uh, somewhere around twenty six, twenty eight homes that's got uh, got some form of damage. I've got uh, eleven major or destroyed homes. I've got two uh, chicken farms, egg laying farms that have been totally destroyed, and. Uh, I think there's one other business, but I can't put my hand on it right now. We're looking for it today. Yes, sir. Well, thank you very much, sir, for your time, and best of luck to you and the good folks there in Lawrence County. Yes, sir. Thank you all. All right. Have a great day. Tony Norwood, everybody. He is the Emergency Management Director for Lawrence County, a a county under the gun right now from from all the terrible things that uh, have occurred uh, since Easter Day, and we want to thank him for taking the time to talk to us. All right, we're going to find Kelly Sander up next as the Eagle Hour continues. everybody welcome back uh, to the eagle hour some computer glitches but we won't let that stop us we've got kelly Sander on the phone with us right now and kelly i know we've got some good things to talk about but before we get uh, too involved i've just got to remind you one week from today is the uh, from tomorrow is the nfl draft i know you like all of us you're looking forward to that yeah indeed in fact bob this morning chad johnson the former uh cincinnati bengal wide receiver who most people knew as ocho cinco but chad johnson tweeted this morning that uh, that he had talked to Joe Burrow this morning and his the quarterback of LSU and said, Joe, I will see you in a couple weeks in Cincinnati. So it would appear that the cat is kind of out of the bag as if there was any doubt that Cincinnati was going to take Joe Burrow. It certainly now is becoming more and more clear that that's who they're going to take with the number one pick. A draft is just uh, a week away. That's and, right. But before we get to that, uh, I talked earlier in the show to Luke about the situation that developed with the with the power, uh, the the group of five schools submitting the letter to the NCAA asking for huge, huge changes uh, in uh, college athletics uh, coming up this fall, your thoughts about that development? Well, actually, Bob, you know we we've kind of on here on the Eagle Hour, we've kind of been ahead of that curve. We we were kind of asking those questions two weeks ago as you as you look ahead as to what's going on. In fact, the University of Cincinnati yesterday have announced that they are dropping men's soccer immediately. As a cost-cutting measure, you can add Wake Forest to the list of universities that are cutting coaches' salaries now going into next year. A couple of interesting points about that letter that Conference USA, Sunbelt, Mountain West, among others, uh, sent to the NCAA, and Craig Thompson was the spokesman for the group. He's the commissioner for the Mountain West. He said that, that it will be necessary for the NCAA to lower their average 
it will be it'll be necessary for the NCAA to lower their average attendance requirements and lower the number of sports offered. Which uh, those are all NCAA rules. In order to be a Division One school, you have to offer I think it's 16 sports and average a certain attendance at football games in order to be considered a Division One school. The athletic directors think that it's going to be a four-year process to be able to get, quote-unquote, back to normal. In fact, Rutgers University released a poll today that uh, was they polled football season ticket holders and basketball season ticket holders at the college level. Seventy-two percent of season ticket holders said they would not return to sporting events. Seventy-two percent? Seventy-two percent, according to the Rutgers poll, said they will not be going to uh, sporting events where people are sitting close together until a vaccine is developed. And, of course, the healthcare uh, experts say that that could be 12 to 18 months away. So um, it's just wow. I mean, far re- four years these athletic directors think it'll take to, to get back to normal, for if, and particularly if there's no football. If football you know, goes into the the fall we could re- not if we if we don't have a football season we could be in big trouble and and anthony dr anthony fauci on the president's uh, corona task force has said that he would recommend if there is a college football season that it be played with no fans um <laughs> this year anyway well i i can't even imagine that can, can you begin to imagine that no i can't but i mean i if my choice was to watch it on tv or not have it at all I'd rather watch it on TV, you know, right. but I know that doesn't really help the financial coffers of these institutions, but the, the Mississippi High School Activities Association yesterday officially, as if we, didn't, as if we weren't sure, but they uh, officially canceled the, the spring season um, based on the announcement yesterday. So uh, we might be in for a long haul here. If baseball gets, um, gets back on track, again, it looks like they would play with with no fans, and they they are recommended by Dr. Fauci and his staff that that all baseball players would live in, you know, be housed in hotels, um, and not not be at their homes where they could possibly infect wives, children, etc. So, the craziness is not over yet, Bob. It might be just the tip of the iceberg, particularly financially. Yeah. Scale of one to ten, uh, ten being they will do it, one being they will ignore the request of the uh, group of five. Chances of the NCAA making the changes that the conferences ask for? Five. Right, give us your thoughts that, on how the NCAA will view this, Kelly. Well, I think this could be the tipping point. You know, you've had a lot of people, and, and people, Southern Miss fans have, have talked about it on different social media platforms, That and a lot of people thought that the Power Five, so to speak, should go their merry way and let the F, let FCS do their own thing. If they don't, if they don't adhere to these requests, that's going to be the, the straw that breaks the camel's back, that the Power Five will go their own way and the FCS will go their own way. If they do, again, the athletic directors think it'll be four years before they can recover from all this. So, uh, so that's what I'm saying. I'm, I'm right down the middle. I, I don't know that they will. don't know that they won't. But right. if they don't, Something's got to give. Uh, where's the significance in the fact that these this letter supposedly represented all Division One programs in the country, but none of the commissioners of the Power Five were involved in the request? Yeah, I know that Craig Thompson, as we mentioned from the, uh, the Mountain West, he was kind of the spokesman of this group. 
Uh, it was my understanding that it was that it wasn't the Power Five school, but it, that it was. Um, uh, but I, I could be wrong on mm-hmm. that. But that that the mid majors, so to speak, were the ones because they're the ones that stand to get hurt the most. Correct. Even though that even though it's interesting of the schools that we mentioned, Washington State, Iowa State, Wake Forest, uh, you know, among others, those are the schools. Those are all you know Power Five schools that have announced uh, cutbacks. Cincinnati, as we mentioned, dropping its soccer program and it will not return. Mm-hmm. Was the was the word yesterday from the University of Cincinnati? They're dropping men's soccer, and it will not return. A program that's been there since 1972. So the financial landscape of college athletics, as we have known it for years and years and years, is about to change. Uh, maybe short term, but more likely long term. No better illustration than the haves and the have-nots. I pointed this out to Luke earlier in the show. Old Dominion's uh, women's basketball coach leaves, goes to Mississippi State, being paid three-quarters of a million dollars a year to coach women's basketball in Starkville. And that's probably that's probably Southern Miss's uh, entire budget for for the whole season for you know women's basketball. I don't know. But probably right. Probably you're right. right. Well, God bless them. You know, Bob. God bless them. Yeah, we have the draft to look forward to, Kelly. A week from tomorrow, and yeah, the first and team on the board, the Cincinnati Bengals. Yeah, but you won't have to wait very long after that. Are we Are we going to get together, social distance, and all that? Are we going to watch the draft uh, next week? I don't know. We'll have to maybe see if we. Can Put some TV six feet, seven feet apart, something like that. I'm not sure. Well, we can watch the same TV. We'll just be six or seven feet apart. <laughs> we'll put, we'll I may Bruno come over on. to your house and look through the window. We'll use we'll use Bruno and radio as our as our spacers between <laughs> us. You know. Well, they do lot they do lot parallel on the couch a lot, as you well know. Yeah, and they do like to spread out, so that might be about uh, <laughs> might be about six feet. But yeah, All looking right. forward to it. All right, Mr. Sander, you take care of yourself, and uh, we'll look forward to talking to you again tomorrow. All right, Bob. Thanks so much. Kelly Sander, everybody, on the Eagle Hour, and we appreciate his uh, contribution every day. I want to thank Dr. Mark Horn from South Central Regional Medical Center. Also, Tony Norwood, the Emergency Management Director for Lawrence County. As the tornado relief continues, we hope you'll keep those folks in your prayers. And uh, don't forget, stay on guard against COVID-19. Eagle Hour will be back tomorrow at 1 o'clock. And until then, everybody, Southern Miss to the top. Talk Mississippi Media Production.